2: Talk, plain talk,
3: talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of
4: good old fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV.
5: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've got a big day ahead of us, ladies and gentlemen. We are gasping in the glow, uh, or is it basking in the glow, uh, of the uh, Vladimir Zelensky appearance yesterday in Westminster Hall. All over the front pages of the papers, some uh, WAGs have suggested that this particular picture on the front page of the Telegraph uh, suggests that the next uh, remake of Top Gun might not be quite as good as the last one. But we shall see Rishi Sunak uh, and Vladimir Zelensky striding along, uh, about to get into a, a military helicopter. Helicopter uh, heading off to see Ukrainian troops being trained yesterday. We're going to kick things off this morning with Isabel Oakeshott, Talk TV's international editor, and we're going to be saying, is it right that all of this is kind of going on around us without anybody seemingly asking a question of any kind whatsoever? And I mean by that, where is the money coming from? How is it possible that everybody in Parliament seems to agree that whatever the course of action is that the government wants to take? That's fine, absolutely okay with us. Sakir so Starmer yesterday completely gave up on Prime Minister's questions and sort of got involved in this loving um, about the conquering hero, Volodymyr Zelensky, who appeared in Parliament as if he was, you know, Captain America. The cheers that were going up for him were quite extraordinary. I have no problem uh, supporting Ukraine in their fight against Russia. I don't think anybody has any doubt that some of the Russian activities have been war crimes, to say the least. And some of the the stories that we're hearing that are coming out of Ukraine about torture, um, about horrible uh, killings and about uh, the wiping out of innocent people and the raising to the ground of entire cities. All of that we know, but we seem to be entering a slightly new phase. And I think it's time uh, for us to take a step back, take a little bit of stock of what it is that's happening. Uh, and ask some questions. And Isabel and I were talking last night on The Talk about this, and I'm sure she, like me, would welcome a little bit more kind of um, scrutiny, shall we say, on what it is that the government's policies planned to be. And also, what will happen if the Russians do retaliate, as Vladimir Putin says that they might? Now, again, I'm with Julie Hartley Brewer. We should not be making foreign policy predicated on whether or not it upsets Vladimir Putin, but we should also be very, very honest with each other about what might happen if he doesn't like The foreign policy emanating uh, from the Western side of Europe and NATO itself. We'll also be talking about Prevent, a big story today. The Shawcross Report, of course, is out. Uh, William Shawcross writing in The Times today that Britain must focus on the real threats. He thinks that Prevent is a good scheme but it's being run badly. That would seem to be the message which is coming out. But when we look at people like Shemima Begum, when we look at the person who killed uh, David Amis MP, when we look at the London Bridge killer uh, who supposedly was de-radicalised by the Prevent Scheme, uh, you can see very clearly that whatever they were were doing, whatever they thought they were doing, they weren't doing it very well. We'll also bring you the sad tale, the sorry tale, uh, of a bunch of Liverpool city councillors who had their parking fines cancelled in what can only be described as something very murky indeed. 0344 499 1000 we'll be asking you if you've managed to get off your parking charges. Also Matthew Saeed is going to join us as well. Uh, He's interested in having a conversation about public perception of people in the public eye. Like Sam Allardyce, remember him? He was the manager of England when he was accused of trying to do some dodgy deals with people who had been set up to entrap him. It turned out that he was innocent but he got fired anyway. Dominic Raab finds himself in the same position. He's being accused by people of being a terrible bully, uh, sending people home in tears, making some civil servants so despairing that they thought about killing themselves. Is any of that true? What if it isn't? 0344 499 1000 is the number. We want your calls, of course, as well. We've got lots to talk about, including as well another study that's come out, which says that electric scooters keep spontaneously combusting these things are very dangerous indeed and i think they should be banned from the roads i want to hear your thoughts on that as well but this is the independent republican mike graham this is the one place to hear the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so let's get it on Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's a slightly grey day today, not quite so cold, not quite so misty, but uh, nonetheless, we shall soldier on as best we can. Uh, We've got Thursday Club coming up as well, and Valentine's Day is looming large, so there'll be something for everybody uh, later on in the show. Let's kick things off first of all, though, with Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. Isabel, very good morning to you.
2: Good morning. I've been practising my hard stare, Mike, (laughs) and apparently that's what Dominic Raab does, his hard stare reduces civil servants to quivering wrecks, apparently. Yes, it doesn't take much,
5: does it? I mean, um, I'm looking forward to um, talking to Matthew Side because he wrote an interesting piece at the weekend about how, you know, once it's out there, quite often in our society now, everyone assumes that it's true. And many things have laid uh, at, at people like Dominic Raab's door and he doesn't really have the opportunity to answer them.
2: I also think that there's been a real kind of sinister shift towards civil servants who are faceless and unelected yeah. and generally incredibly well protected by the system. It's not the done thing for the media ever to name civil servants. Mm. Um, being able to come out with any old tripe against political figures they don't like or whose agendas they happen to disagree with. And before you know it, those uh, democratically appointed, having been democratically elected politicians, find themselves fighting for their careers. Now, I've no doubt that some ministers are harder to work for than others, perhaps because they get completely exasperated by the fundamental inertia of the civil service and are not willing to just kind of roll over and, you know, just accept uh, substandard performance.
5: Now, I would imagine most new ministers go into departments, particularly if they're heading that department, uh, with a sort of zeal because they want to see some change. They want to change the way things have been going. That's why they've been given the job. And immediately they encounter this kind of resistance, as you said, this inertia, um, which is obviously the job of the civil servants as well. So this pushback goes on. But it's gone on for, for decades and centuries, probably, and that's the way it's supposed to work. But now, as you say, we now seem to have this class of people who are forever crying bully Um, and crying you know uh, they made me cry or all of this and I mean I've spoken to people who've worked with Dominic Raab as I'm sure you have who say look um, he has had to deal with people who were simply just not very good at their jobs and so he had to tell them they weren't very good at their jobs.
2: Yeah I mean I've known Dominic Raab not terribly well but since he entered the House of Commons in 2010 I've always found him very polite very personable he's not a particularly abrasive character certainly not in his Dealings with journalists now, of course, politicians put on their best possible face to the uh, political Mm. lobby. But you know, there are certain politicians that have quite a reputation. Um, He, I'm I'm not sure, ever actually did. Um, And I think that this has all been uh, much exaggerated by people who, who for whatever reason, uh, don't like being pushed too hard to do their jobs. And the thing about civil service is. That there almost never seems to be any consequence on no. performance no one ever really seems to get fired if you screw up in a job and sometimes these screw-ups can have absolutely catastrophic financial implications you know failing to meet deadlines on multi-million pound contracts that then cost the taxpayer mm. huge fines and so on you don't get fired, you just get quietly moved to another department. Mm. Um, And I think over the years, conservative uh, politicians have become increasingly exasperated with this and the best of them refuse to accept it. They push back and they fight hard because they've got a job to do yeah. on behalf of the rest
5: of us. Absolutely right. You know, there's definitely, um, uh, you know, an us v them mentality going on in the civil service, and in Whitehall in particular, it seems to be worse than it's ever been, the relations between the Tory government and the civil servants, And it can't be an accident, um, because I believe many, many of these senior civil servants are the kind of Blairist types who have come in, you know, through university. They've been in the civil service all their lives, and all their careers have been built up to this lovely six-figure lifestyle, you know, working from home, not having to really do too much of anything and actually being ideologically opposed to a lot of what the Tories want to do?
2: Well, I mean, we saw this um, with pretty dreadful consequences, actually, over the long Brexit years. I mean, Mm. the machine was fundamentally anti-Brexit and did its very best to make Brexit as difficult mm. as possible. And they were extremely effective at it. And
5: they're still doing that, as far as, I, as far as I believe. But let's let's move on, speaking of Brexit, because Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky is over in Brussels today. I think he's going to meet Emmanuel Macron later. Are you surprised that the way that his visit here has been uh, sort of managed and messaged and dealt with? I mean, I'm looking at pictures this morning on the front pages and all the front pages, making him look as if he's like sort of Captain America, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I'm not really surprised. I think people are sort of, they just want heroes at the moment. And there is no receptive audience for any kind of nuance here. You know, I mean, I know people who will privately criticise Zelensky saying that there's a long history of, of corruption in Ukraine, and that he's presided over bad things as well as good. But there's no. Um, appetite for that type of debate. And I kind of understand why, because really, Ukraine is in a fight to, for the life, uh, as are, uh, you know, those of us that believe that this has much broader implications. Mm. So I, I understand the kind of uh, lionizing of Zelensky. But I think the point you made in the introduction is a really interesting and important one. Um, there has been no kind of a vote in Parliament as to whether we should continue sending X number of billions of pounds. Mm. Now, part of the reason for that, if you cast back to, I think it was 2014, um, I might have the date slightly wrong there, uh, when David Cameron made the catastrophic error of asking Parliament whether they wanted to commit to uh, resources to Syria. Yeah. And Parliament didn't give the answer that he wanted. Uh, And that was quite a breach of precedent. You know, normally, uh, prime ministers just take executive powers on this sort of thing. Um, And I think that there would be a lot of wariness... Um, about holding votes on this matter in case it didn't quite go um, at the angle the government wanted.
5: No, quite. You know, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not that interested in what's gone before as far as Zelensky's concerned and whether people think he's a decent bloke or not. But I am more concerned about the safety of people in this country. And if Vladimir Putin, and I know that he's made threats before, says that he's going to retaliate if the West gets more involved. And we appear to be getting more involved in doing things that even a year ago uh, we said we wouldn't do in terms of support, in terms of weaponry in terms of jets in terms of tanks all the things that we said we wouldn't do we appear to now be doing without really any conversation about what the consequences of that might be i mean i don't wish to be in any way alarmist but somebody sent me a message yesterday saying you know oh zelensky's in london it'd be a good day for uh, for putin to fire a couple of missiles over this way and that's what that's the way people think whether we like it or not
2: Well, it's not a ridiculous suggestion. I mean, I sat down uh, last week with our Defense Secretary, Ben Wallace, and asked him about just this. Mm. um, And uh, about, for example, the nuclear threat from Putin, which is really hard to calculate. Um, You know, how much is bluff? How much is real? Uh, I was quite taken aback by how blunt Ben Wallace was about this. You know, he did say that Putin's idea of tactical nuclear weapons could be 10 times the size of Hiroshima. These aren't necessarily things that just take out a small village, not that that would be anything to be lightly dismissed either. He also said, though, that the reality is that we are, in a sense, already uh, at war with Russia. It's uh, what's known as the kind of the grey zone, the hybrid warfare of modern uh, warfare techniques. You know, we had the Salisbury poisoning, and there are numerous... Uh, Murky things have taken place in Germany regarding the targeting of figures that the Russians don't like there. Um, So these are, you know, these are not sort of being invaded with troops on the ground Mm. by the Russians. That's inconceivable. Uh, But there are other ways to, to mess us up.
5: Yeah, they really are. Um, stay where you are as well. We want to talk about the Prevent report out today. Uh, William Shawcross has been writing The Times about his uh, view on what the real threats are to this country. We're going to talk about Shemima Begum. Uh, we're going to talk about Prevent and why they didn't prevent enough and why they didn't quite do what they were supposed to. Uh, more from Isabel Oakeshott right here on Talk TV. Coming
4: next on DAB+ on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Isabel Oakeshott's with us, Talk TV's international editor. We've been talking about uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. He's currently addressing the uh, European Parliament. Uh, We'll bring you that uh, as and when uh, anything different gets said by him, but I suspect he's just asking for some more uh, jets and some more tanks and some more aid, really. Let's talk instead, though, about something closer to home, and that is, of course, Prevent, um, the extremism programme which was kicked off uh, here in this country. It was designed to supposedly de-radicalise people who might be um, on the brink of extreme violence um, and Lord Shawcross William Shawcross has uh, written in the times today about his own report saying that basically you know prevent is a good idea but it's been badly kind of managed would you agree with that Isabel
2: I think this is a fascinating story I and mean, first of all I didn't realize that they have a budget of 49 million pounds a year yeah You you know, you and I talk about this a lot on various programmes. How do they reach these figures? I mean, that's a colossal budget. Mm. What I found most interesting about this report is it essentially says that for fear of uh, being accused of being racist or discriminatory, um, the people working for Prevent have kind of tilted towards tackling so-called far-right extremism, um, which is not actually something that prevents—I uh, beg, I beg pardon—that's not something that presents uh, quite such a statistical risk. I no. don't uh, to people in this country. I mean, there fortunately have been vanishingly few cases of atrocities by the far right in this country. But even more worrying, um, the report says that whilst obscuring the Islamic threat prevent has defined extreme right wing too broadly Mm. encompassing the respectable right and the center right well as somebody on the center right and the respectable right i find this really disturbing Mm. i mean I probably both find ourselves, along with many of our colleagues at Talk TV, um, accused of being far right. And this sort of language has become completely overly bandied around yeah. to apply to anyone who is sort of mildly conservative. And I would quite like to know how that plays out in practice. You know, I mean, the likes of you and I defined as risk under the PREVENT programme, what does this actually mm. mean? And well, is this... Good use of public money.
5: No, you make a very good point because I'm sure, as, as as I have been often, if anything does ever happen, uh, which is considered to be a right extremist view or some act, uh, act which which takes place, you know, I get accused of having encouraged it in some way uh, by yeah. something that I might have said, you know. But but it's very clear that William Shawcross says it here, that it was disproportionate in the way that they looked at what they call far-right extreme violence because it's very, very small. And what you would often hear is the phrase, and we heard it yesterday, I was talking to Rikiba San about it, uh, oh, but it's the fastest-growing terrorism. And you go, well, that's a bit like saying, you know, I've got the fastest-growing radio station on the planet, which is what I used to say all the time. I didn't mean it was the biggest you one um, and I do indeed but you know it doesn't mean it's the biggest one on the planet and neither does this mean that the far right threat is the biggest threat the biggest threat is by far and away from Islamic fundamentalism and that is a fact it's as simple as that
2: yeah I mean it might be the fastest growing because it's going from five people to six people yeah or something like that. exactly so statistically, that gives you a, a higher leap um no I think this is really disturbing. I mean we we could say in defense of the Prevent program um that very happily and touch wood I don't want to tempt fate in any way here there have not been of late any large scale um extremist atrocities. So perhaps they get some credit from having prevented that. Mm. You never quite you can't quite prove that negative. Um but this is a huge budget And it would be nice and reassuring to know that it was being directed at the right sort of Mm. targets.
5: Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to people who have been through the programme and they say that it's very much a kind of nudge, unit style operation right. where they take groups of young men quite often uh, Muslim men uh, from schools and they put them through classes and they talk to them a little bit about things yeah. and they take them on field trips and it's all very sort of nicey nicey it seems to me and so there's an awful lot of um, cajoling rather than you know um you know very very hard line teaching um and I suppose that unfortunately is rather open-ended but when you look at people like Shemaima Begum you know, who's now currently the face of the BBC, it would seem, uh, being sort of almost lionised by them, as if she's been in some terrible trouble and she was groomed and she somehow felt as if she was living in a part of Britain where she felt disaffected and she didn't know what to do. Well, you know, lots of teenagers feel like that. They don't go and join a death cult in the Middle East.
2: I mean, I find this absolutely sickening. The kind of um, the media... um, cooperation and collaboration with the rehabilitation of somebody who left this country in order to do absolutely appalling murderous things to join a, a death cult that has been beheading and killing our own people and wants the end of our civilization should somehow be paraded on the airwaves and on front pages and in glossy magazines made up to look like She's just like any other kind of teenager Mm. off to the shopping mall, you know, may have made a few mistakes in the past. Let's gloss over my my little past with my uh, all all my awful um, agenda that I had at that time as if this is just, you know, nothing that she should pay for Mm. for a very, very, very long time. I think to mainstream it, I think to do that is is an appalling misjudgment on the part of all of those who have paraded her in that way.
5: Yes, I think absolutely. And and I don't understand what it is that attracts certain parts of the media to this story, because it's clear that the BBC, in doing a podcast series and in doing a documentary, uh, and very possibly more things, you know, are coming at it from a particular point of view. They're coming at it from the point of view that she's a victim. And you can see that that's where they're doing it. And yet... There's no kind of balance at all whatsoever in the coverage of, of what she's guilty of. And if you just mentioned three things that she's done, you know, you would think that that would immediately disqualify her for being treated even as a human being, never mind as a sort of mini celebrity.
2: I mean it, it is awful and I think she's she's definitely bluntly I know how the media works I've been in this game for a long time she's assisted by the fact that she looks quite good yeah. you know it's a, she's a pretty girl and she makes for good copy um I I I just find this all quite sinister it's, it sort of plays into the um I don't know the netflixization yes. of terrible crimes yes. um and these terrible crimes have victims mm. and they have very, very serious geopolitical implications. Uh, And it sends out the message that you can do pretty much anything you like, as long as you look good. And a few years later, you gloss up quite nicely, and you put on a pair of shades, uh, then you know, you can find yourself on the front page of magazines and selling your book. But but
5: does it not also take us back, Isabel, to the thing that dare not speak its name, which is that it's very clear and prevent have have used, as you say, people like you and I as examples of, 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 of what's wrong with people on the right. Um, but what they haven't done is looked into parts of our society in Britain, inside some of our cities where there are um, groups of people, there are communities where young people are being actively encouraged to become jihadists, to become, you know, warriors for Allah, uh, to go off and join ISIS. I mean, there was, that is obviously a thing that's happening. And that's why Prevent has to do its job better, isn't it?
2: Well, I wonder whether Prevent is working with Shamima Begum. I mean, this will probably be the next story, won't it? Mm. That Shamima Begum, as part of a long-distance image rehabilitation tour, will be assisting these programmes in uh, going round and, and trying to tell young people why they shouldn't become like her. Yeah. The problem is uh, that they that she, the publicity that she's had actually rather makes her life look like a bit of an exciting adventure.
5: Yeah. I mean, she doesn't look to me the way somebody ought to look if they're in a refugee camp in the middle of si- the, the Syrian border. You know, it looks like she's just literally stepped out off a yacht uh, on the Boulevard des Anglais.
2: Well, exactly that. So uh, the other thing I think is so odd about this case is it did take her lawyers rather number of years to come up with this defence of her being a victim of grooming. Mm. They kind of thought of this very belatedly, didn't they? They did. Why wasn't that being put out right at the beginning when there was the whole controversy about her leaving?
5: Exactly right. And I mean, finally, I should just ask you, I presume, like me, you don't think we should be bringing her back here to stand trial for any reason or to become a a, a sort of a a drain on the state, do you?
2: No, I think she's dead to us and bye bye and good riddance. Sorry. And I think this media campaign just makes really reinforces my view on that.
5: Yeah, I think a lot of people will agree with that. Isabel, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Isabel Oakshot, Talk TV's international editor. Um, Not pulling any punches there on the and Begum front. And well done and good, because we need to start telling the truth about this stuff. We need to stop uh, pussyfooting around and pretending, you know, that Prevent has to look at all areas of extremism. Uh, Far-right extremism, very dangerous, fastest growing. No. Islamic fundamentalist extremism is by far and away the biggest threat to people in this country. And we're going to be talking to Paul Stott later on about this professor, of course, and at the Henry Jackson Society, because he's going to be picking up on what we were told by Ben Habib the other day um, about a certain group of people who are now coming over, we believe, uh, on the small boats, coming into this country uh, with certainly, at the very least, connections to the Taliban and connections to some very violent organisations. What are we doing about it? Not very much. This is Talk TV.
4: Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now we're going to talk about the murder rate coming up uh, very shortly but before we do that uh, something else has reached to me that I wish to share with you and that is of course about one of the perennial problems that we have uh, in this day and age. We were talking just now about electric bikes and electric scooters. Parking is something that drives people to absolute distraction. I mean how many times have you driven round and round and round and round looking for a parking spot? How- How many times uh, have you got back to the car only to find that you've got a ticket on the car because you've overstayed uh, the place that you were supposed to be parked in for a minute or two and suddenly you're facing a fine of about 80 quid? How many times have you appealed a parking fine and found yourself following down a rabbit hole of madness where you end up just giving up after about two months and five letters and you just go I'll tell you what I'll just pay you anyway well not if you work for Liverpool City Council because Liverpool City Council as you might not be surprised to know is run by the Labour Party right it is a Labour Council however Thanks to uh, some sterling work by the Liverpool Echo, a very fine newspaper in those parts, right? Uh, It turns out that a bunch of Labour councillors, uh, 14 to be precise, uh, and other ex-politicians in that part of the world, um, have had parking tickets rescinded, right? Just thrown away, torn up. 51 different parking tickets have been cancelled in what's been described as a breathtaking disregard for the rules right among those highlighted in this particular investigation are one former mayor joe anderson you might remember him yeah, there's an ex-deputy mayor involved the current chairman of the city's finance committee is also involved in it you know joe anderson had two parking tickets cancelled by officers uh, in a move which has been described as at the very least Something that should never have happened. Councillor Richard Kemp has said this. What we see in the behaviour of 14 Labour councillors in not paying 51 parking tickets is a breathtaking disregard for the rules and regulations that they themselves put in place. In this, they copy the arrogant behaviour of the Tories in Westminster with a similar sense of superiority and entitlement. The top rated um, person, of course, is the former deputy mayor, Anne O'Byrne. She had 17 separate parking tickets wiped out. Former cabinet ministers Barry Cushner and Nick Small saw seven and four tickets thrown out. Joe Anderson had two parking tickets in the same period. They've all denied any kind of wrongdoing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't look good, does it? It looks as though Liverpool City Council is being run not for the people, but just for the people that work there. Absolutely incredible, uh, Joe Anderson. You might remember was suspended uh, from his job, and then there was a criminal investigation into his behaviour. Um, however, that has now ended, and there is no further action being taken. We should say, but a pretty shambolic way to run a council, isn't it? Got a parking ticket? Yeah, don't worry about it. Just chuck it in the bin. There you go. It'll be fine. There we are. Um, Liverpool City Council. Terrible. Absolutely awful. We'll be talking to Liverpool Echo later on. Let's talk now, though, to Sergeant Rich Cook, uh, chair of the West Midlands Police Federation, of course, because we've got some terrible news this morning uh, on the number uh, of violent crimes. The number of people killed with the knife in England and Wales in 21-22 was the highest on record for 76 years. Rich, a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us.
6: Morning Mike.
5: This is terrible isn't it I mean basically what they're saying uh, is that the numbers of uh, homicides have risen to pre-pandemic levels they've come back up uh, and in fact they're now higher than they've ever been and worse than that is they're happening everywhere they're not just happening in sort of what you might think of as as high crime areas they're happening in low crime areas as well.
6: Yeah it's absolutely no shock at all um, no surprises to my colleagues in in West Midlands, of course, uh, and all the cities of there. We had a horrific murder of a young man called Bailey Atkinson the other day in Walsall, stabbed multiple times by a gang of um, young people, three teenagers arrested, Uh, horrific crime, colleagues involved were were, were obviously traumatised, sort of being involved Mm. with it, you know. And this is happening over and over again up and down the country. And I think it's... It's, it's partly to do with the way county lines and gang crime has been sort of left to fester. It's, it's about soft, soft leadership in policing and soft punishments in the courts, I'm yeah. afraid.
5: Yeah, I mean, according to the stats that I'm looking at here, the homicide rate was 11.7 per million per population, but 16.9% for the male population and only 6.6% for the female population. We hear an awful lot about uh, women being victims of crime and being victims of murder by men, but there's a lot more men being murdered than there are women, aren't there?
6: Yeah, and, and, and obviously any murder is an absolute uh, tragedy and a, and a disgrace, and, and we've we've got to stop stop it all but it is predominantly when you talk about knife crime and homicide it is predominantly young young men involved um you know and, and we've got to stop that as well because it, you know each life lost it, it creates so many so much devastation so much ripples in the in the community and the families involved it, you know it, it's just devastating
5: it really is um 69 homicides as well for victims aged between 13 13- and 19 years of age, if these 51 were killed by a knife or a sharp instrument, and you and know, I have talked about this before, more and more youngsters now are actually carrying knives. Um, in may- many ways, maybe it's a wonder that there's not more injuries and more deaths.
6: Well, I think there is, and I don't I don't think it gets reported because I think, as I said to you when I was on last, Mike, um, the advances in medicine... And what paramedics can do today is amazing. Mm. And compared to 30 years ago, I think you would find that you know. And I don't want to be crude about it, but the bodies would be piled uh, far higher yeah. if uh, we didn't have that ability to um, to save lives. Mm. And we've got the ambulance service and, and the NHS to, to support. But if that wasn't at the level it is, you know, that's the only reason the murder rate isn't isn't far higher yes. than. It
5: is, and I mean, uh, given this is the highest on record for 76 years, do you think it might somehow galvanise uh, either the government or the powers that be to do something about it? And, and if so, what can well, we do?
6: Well, I hope so, Mike, because I pull my hair out, you know. Um, I just don't know what goes on with the powers that be. Uh, I don't know what planet they're on. Mm. We've got children being uh, slaughtered in the streets of our cities and towns now across the country you know and and what's been done about it you know we we've, we've had a decade where we've seen stop and search just uh, stop and search mm. numbers in total drop off a cliff yeah that's the one power we can use to prevent knife crime and and it's been systematically um dismantled i mean hopefully we're getting back to it a bit now and mm. getting back to proactive policing but you know the very tactics that, that could save lives have been um, sort of undermined, um, and that's that's come from from the political class, I believe, and yeah. um, that's come from police leadership. I'm afraid to say. And what we need is we need the bobbies on the front line, giving the backing, unambiguous backing to get out there, stop these uh, criminals, get the intelligence, make the decisions, and get the knives off the streets and lock people up who were involved in these uh, these gangs and, the, and 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 with these. Um, with the drugs that goes with it
5: yeah yeah obviously the drugs are a huge driver of much of this as well sergeant rich cook great to talk to you thank you very much indeed chair of West midlands police federation on the news uh that basically uh the highest number of people killed with a knife in england and wales for 76 years absolutely incredible 21 22 uh there's just so many people young people in particular now dying after being knifed to death in a public street in this country It simply can't go on. Something surely has to be done. 0344 499 1000. Matthew Side coming up. uh, We'll take your calls as well. This is Talk TV. Fast talk.
4: Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk.
5: The independent republic of Mike
4: Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Good morning, and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. It is a Thursday, so we will be having the Thursday Club a little bit later on for those of you who are always looking for um, inspiration, shall we say, with cocktail cabinet in mind, because Valentine's Day is coming up next week, uh, and many of you uh, will be wondering, what should I get? to drink on Valentine's Day. But, you know, we'll be getting all of that sorted out. Also, Dr. Paul Stott is going to join us as well. He's going to tell us what he makes of this whole Prevent report. William Shawcross writing The Times today uh, that it's very important that people focus on the real threat uh, of what is terrorism in this country rather than uh, going off on tangents and talking about things which might not be such a threat as some other things. Uh, Matthew Side joins us as well, Sunday Times columnist, of course, uh, a man uh, who knows a thing or two Um, about the culture of working. Um, He's got new podcasts out all the time. He's got a new book out as well. We'll talk about that. Matthew, welcome. Nice to see you. We're going to talk a little bit about reparations. We're going to talk a little bit about the culture of bullying and also the culture in the media of scapegoating, which I think has been something that Dominic Raab has certainly suffered from. And also, what about Volodymyr Zelensky and the kind of uh, lionisation of his appearance yesterday? There's pictures of him on the front page Of the Telegraph this morning, I said this earlier, Matthew, that you know people wags on social Mm. media have been saying, I don't fancy the look of the next Top Gun, Um, (laughs) because it's Rishi Sunak and uh, Vladimir Zelensky, who are eerily the same size, quite small, wearing these giant sort of uh, helmets as if they're about to go into battle. I'm always queasy about um, um, politicians, ever since Margaret Thatcher stuck her head out of a tank, you know. Which somehow looked okay, but I've I've always been slightly wary of it.
7: Somehow. Well, they, pl- they play on it. Yeah, they play on it, and I think that, that there's a risk that they can overdo the the jingoism mm. in, a, in a situation like that. That yeah. that fellow I hadn't seen actually. You're right; they're a similar shape and size. Yeah, but Sunak, I think is conscious of the fact that. Zelensky has praised pretty effusively Boris Johnson, mm. uh, singled him out in the speech yesterday, yeah. and it would be, I think, a risk, given that polling shows that people think Sunak is not strong, yes. um, that he wants to make sure that he is seen to be following the basic trajectory that Johnson set mm. when, yes. when the invasion took well, place. I well, was,
5: I was surprised, actually, that Boris turned up because I was expecting this to have been all organised because Boris had taken a trip abroad
7: <laughs> and they'd gone, right, let's, get,
5: yeah, let's yeah. get Zelensky in because we want to tell him that, look, we're signing the checks, we're giving you the, the hardware, he's just going out there and getting streets named after him, but we're the guys you should really be talking to. Yeah, but he,
7: he probably heard about it that morning, jumped in the Eurostar <laughs> and trotted back from Paris. Exactly right, yeah. But, I mean, it is extraordinary,
5: isn't it, the way that... Um, I've been saying this all day today so far, that we're just sort of accepting whatever it is the government says we must now do for Ukraine. There's not much debate. There's nobody in Parliament asking questions. You know, Keir Starmer kind of gave up PMQs yesterday just
7: to sort of agree with
5: everything. And it's, it doesn't feel right to me.
7: OK, I think that's a fair point. And it is important that we recognise that there are other ways of strategically dealing with what's happening in, in Ukraine. I happen to support the government policy on this. The thing that fascinates me—I'm not against it, by the way. It's just that I want to know exactly where it's going to lead. I I think that exactly—that's the kind of question I think I'd like politicians to answer. Yeah. Um, But what fascinates me in this whole business is we talk about how Britain has stood up to Putin.
1: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
7: Mm. Boris Johnson single-handedly pushed back the tide and encouraged other allies to come on board. It seems to me that we're airbrushing 10 years of history mm. of appeasement. Yeah. Putin invaded Georgia, uh, the Crimea There was a torrent of dirty money coming into the city, and we have to understand what that did psychologically. The fact that Putin and his fellow kleptocrats knew that they could recycle money in Mm. Mayfair and Knightsbridge gave them an incentive to continue to loot the coffers of the Russian people. It completely made a mockery of U.S. financial sanctions on Russia. Their Magnitsky Act had no teeth Mm. because they could bypass it through London. The Tory party took one and a half million in 2019, a record for a single year. Johnson was foreign secretary in 2000. When did he become a foreign secretary? 2016. A year after, backbenchers were saying that this appeasement is not working. Right. One of them compared it to Chamberlain and uh, Czechoslovakia in 1938. Right. So to me, I, mean, I and I use the metaphor carefully, it's a bit like taking credit for paying a ransom. After spending a decade colluding with the terrorists. And is
5: there anybody that honestly believes that Russian money is no longer in London? Because, I mean, I'm not entirely certain that it's all disappeared, that it's all gone. You know, as long as Roman Abramovich has disappeared, then all the money's gone as well. Has it really?
7: I I don't know the answer to that. I suspect not. There are always machinations Mm. that can be used with smart accountants. But we rolled out the red carpet for Abramovich. Yeah, We allowed the money to come in and Cameron made a big deal of it. Talked about hugging them close. Yeah, it corru- We, you know, when I made the argument a decade ago, Mike, that we need to introduce unexplained wealth orders now. Yeah. people said, what about the rule of law? Mm. You can do that within the rule of law. Yes, right. And they were saying, oh, but this money was legally uh, obtained by the Russian state. Well, let's test that yeah. in the court of law. Well, and by the way, let me say this. I don't know if you heard of Jonathan Sumption, the, yes, the, the QC. I have. A very estimable man. Right. He represented... He's on next week, we're told. Oh, is he? Well Something's coming in. That, that's, a, that's a good find. He's, a, he's, a, he's a great he's a, uh, he's an interesting man care. for jurisprudence. Isn't he? <laughs> well, he represented Abramovich in the case against Berezovsky. Mm. And he admitted in open court that Abramovich and the other oligarchs had got their hands on the mineral wealth of the Russian people by colluding with Boris Yeltsin, effectively giving him loans in return for TV mm. time. Right. It was an open admission. Yeah, and yet we did nothing. Well, everybody about knows it. how Gazprom got their money. Right. Everybody knows that, that Putin
5: basically, you know, took from there, gave it to his friends over here, and suddenly here's Abr-
7: Abramovich, a man who, up until that moment, had never been particularly wealthy. So explain to me how it is that there was not a single sanction leveled on Russian oligarchs until Russian tanks were massing on the border. No weapons. Right. They were desperate for weapons mm. when Russia were in going into the Donbass, yeah. into Crimea. Cameron's policy: We will not provide weapons. Right. So, I mean, I think at least we should be open and honest enough to admit that the price being paid now by Ukrainians is partly a consequence of our appeasement and also yeah. the wider West, Germany, Absolutely. dependence on Russian natural gas. Gerhard Schroeder, the former are. Chancellor, well, they still are. Exactly. I mean, at least they're trying to pivot now. But Gerhard Schroeder, who was a Chancellor. Mm. As you probably know, he became chairman of Gazprom. He became Putin's puppet. Russians call political corruption schroderisation. West has not been good. We're, we're, I think, united now more than for a very long time, thank goodness. But for years as well, I mean,
5: I've spoken to many kind of people who know more about Russia than I do, who say that for years it was maybe willful, but people didn't understand the Russian mentality. They didn't understand how Russia operates, didn't really
7: get it didn't really see what was coming and they should have done but putin um, gave a uh, wrote a, an essay and gave a, a famous speech i might get the year wrong but this is definitely over a decade ago yeah. where he explicitly talked about recreating the russian yeah. empire this is re- why mike i think we do need to stand up to putin now because if he is to be successful in ukraine do you or i believe that he would stop there do you not think Poland would be next? No, I think the he Baltics? wouldn't. No, I think right. that's right. right. I think, but then
5: perhaps again, as you say, it's all water under the bridge now. But he should have been stopped before. Yeah, you know, because the problem now is that we don't know precisely what happens over the course, say, of the next two, three months. Never mind the next year or so. If Putin, um, and I'm not suggesting for a minute that we should be guided by whatever Putin's threats are. However. If he is able to retaliate in some way, shape or form, what form does that take? You know, we should be talking about
7: this and we should be telling people what the risks are, surely. Well, that's true. And let's be clear. Mm. If there is a nuclear escalation, my I think that it could destroy the species. Yeah. There's enough nuclear weapons now. It's not the actual thermonuclear detonations. It's the nuclear winter yeah. that would be caused by right. the great cloud of smoke. It yeah. would destroy... crops. And these
5: so-called tactical weapons, I'm told, are not what you would think a tactical weapon is, which means it's above limited sort of range. These things are bigger than what hit Hiroshima. Right,
7: right. right? Uh, that so-called tactical nuclear yeah. weapon, it's, it's not just that either. It can escalate. Mm. What, what is not well known, I don't think, in the public consciousness is in the 50s and 60s, the American defence establishment war-gamed possible interaction with Russia during the Cold... the Soviet Union yeah. during the Cold War... A number of those games, and it sounds like it's just a frivolous thing. These are deeply strategic mm. games where you have some people acting as the the White House, others acting as the Kremlin. Yeah. They led to all-out war because signs were misinterpreted. Mm. There would be a bit of escalation. The, the the East Germans would come over the wall to quell a fire. The rally, it, uh, Americans would retaliate, and the escalation can happen very quickly. Yeah. I think we're right to be aware of the risk to uh, an existential risk to the species. But remember, Mike, there's a risk of inaction, Mm. if that makes sense. We don't confront Putin. He takes more and more liberties. Once he goes into NATO territory, there's a tripwire policy. But that's the thing. You know, we had that one incident, didn't we, where a missile, a rogue missile, somehow
5: landed in Poland. And everybody that I spoke to who knows about this stuff was like, nobody wants that to be a Russian missile, even if it is. We're just not going to say that it is. And so that was kind of whitewashed and that was fine. But what if they actually do want to make it
7: clear that they have fired something and then it can't be denied? And then what do you do then? So I, I, I think if we were to now provide jets to Ukraine, I think it is unlikely that Putin, even if he wished to, would be able to escalate. I think the people around him would say, hang on a second. Mm. If we, you know, It's a suicide pact yeah. if they eventually do it. I think that we've incrementally increased the pressure. Mm. Missiles, tanks, planes... I think it would be very difficult. Remember, Mm. every so-called dictator is part of a coalition. Yeah. He doesn't have the oil fields in his pocket. It requires on a security apparatus yeah. certain people in the... Remember, Caesar was killed by... Who was Caesar killed? What was it the Praetorian Guard? Anyway, it's, it's, yes. his bodyguards, yeah. basically. There's always a risk for a dictator. Well, Brutus, Brutus, Brutus was involved, uh, yeah, exactly. involved
5: yeah. as well. Nobody knew exactly who plunged the fatal knife in. But, I I think mean, they all did, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they did. I think that was the point. You know, a bit like the three switches that you pull uh, when you put somebody in an electric chair. Nobody knows which one exactly. of them actually killed exactly. him because you couldn't handle the guilt. But, you know... um the other problem, though, is that surely we don't know what comes next if somebody decided that they want to get rid of Putin. I mean,
7: how does he, how does he you know, walk backwards away from Ukraine and keep his dignity? Let's ask these questions because I think you're right. If Putin is replaced, it's not impossible. It'll be by someone even more hard-line. Yeah. There is a big groundswell of mm. opinion for this populist on the right. Of The other thing worth bearing in mind is we're obviously correctly, deeply anxious about the Communist Party of China. Yeah. Great power competition is back. It is not impossible. They will mount an amphibious attack on Taiwan. Mm. That would be of massive geopolitical significance Mm. because if we don't do anything about that, the sphere of influence that China would have, why would South Korea trust the defense guarantee? Well, it's a very interesting open question, but let's say we do confront the Chinese Communist Party more robustly. We've Mm. already started to do that. Trump, to his credit, was the first mover in this regard. what would replace the Chinese Communist Party? Think of what it Mm. would mean for a country the size of China which has never had any democratic history at all, Mm. not really ever had the peaceful transfer of power. It's been a series of empires and dynasties. That transition to a new kind of regime, if the Communist Party of China fell, would have... Possibly unintended consequences. Well, it'd be like the Arab Spring on steroids, wouldn't it? Big, much more significant. Yeah, terrible.
5: Well, interesting point, Matthew. Sides here. We're going to talk about a great many other things coming up. We'll talk about the culture of bullying, the culture of um, scapegoating, perhaps as well as is Talk TV
4: on DAB Plus on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the only place where you can get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Some people challenge me on that, of course, uh, and say it's not really the truth, is it? Well, it is, actually. Um, it's my truth, isn't it? <laughs> Matthew Said is here. He knows a thing or two about it. Cause that's the, I'll tell just, you what, though, That gets my, you out of everything. Right, you know, that's right?
7: true. But this my truth, your truth, you yeah. the other truth. I think this is a disaster Isn't it? For, for the Western it world. Is. I mean, the, the way the West has been constructed is on the idea of external empirical reality. Yes, The scientific revolution. Actual We're going to measure data yes. into subjective agreement about what's happening in yeah. the world. This my truth and your truth yes. trumping
5: the Anything. empirical world. And, is, and, and, is and, cannot, and cannot be
7: questioned, right, by the it, way. i tell you what, I think it's adding to polarisation. Because mm. if I've got my truth, you've got yours producers got theirs yeah it means that you're effectively saying whatever you say to me is contravening my own yes. siloed right. reality i first discovered this when i moved away from
5: newspapers and into broadcasting because i started doing an overnight show on talk sport many years ago which was a sort of a, a many splendid thing it was you know, full of drunks crazy people you know potheads ringing in <laughs> at the middle of the night, conspiracy theorists, you know, people who didn't believe the moon landings happened and 9-11 was a fake and all that. Um, and people started saying things to me like, and when you're in newspapers, you have this kind of slightly, I would say, um, grand view of, of yourself as this very important person. You know, I was ed- editor of this and, you know, figures editor of that. Um, and people started saying things like, well, my, my opinion is just as important as yours. And I, and I found myself arguing with them. I said, well, it's not, actually, because I know a lot more than you do. Therefore, my opinion is far more worthwhile than yours. But over time, that seems to have changed. So everybody's now yeah. got an opinion, and they're right. all
7: as important as everybody else But the, 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 the assessment of an opinion should be judged not according to the person who says it, but the quality of the argument. Yes, That's how we should yes. measure these things. And when it comes to, say, for example, Meghan Markle saying that somebody uttered a racist word... Mm. It's not whether she thinks that it's true. It's whether the words were uttered. Yes. This is why we have things like, I mean, we're going on to bullying, like due process, Yes, uh, independent testimony. Right. So we can come to a consensus over what really yeah. happened and therefore have a determination of truth. My truth, your truth, we've got to get away yes. from that. It's, and a, this it's is, a curious period it is. in Western and civilization. It is. And you wrote a fascinating piece on Sunday about this,
5: about recalling the sam allardyce story which i'd sort of forgotten about where sam allardyce was was exposed in the daily telegraph by two journalists who were posing as kind of money men trying to get him to commit to doing something which he shouldn't do which he didn't commit to but yet he lost his job anyway and and it it was your 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 contention was that he was kind of
7: judged by the court of public opinion mike it was an incredible day yeah i remember waking up seeing this story on the front page of the Telegraph and some of the edited clips did look damning. It looked as if he was trying to swindle the FA. There was a couple of off-colour remarks about the royal family. Who care? Tittle-tattle, right, right, when you're having a chat. And it's supposed to be a private conversation. But I thought to myself, hang on a second. I wonder what the whole tape would reveal. What's Allardyce's side of the story? Then I have a look on the social media. Get rid of this person. He's shaming the country. It's a disgrace. Greedy corruption. And I thought, hang on, wait, wait. Due process, Mm. let's establish what actually happened, Mm. the truth, Right, and In order to get to the truth, you need to hear different accounts. You need to hear the case for the defence yes. as well as for the prosecution. I went on the radio early afternoon making this point and the presenter said, hang hey on a second, are you defending corruption? Yeah. I said, there are two distinct things right. here. There's a question of whether corruption is good or bad. It's bad. The second question is whether corruption took place. Yes. Let's establish exactly. that before we... But, have, and, but, but it's here's the, the car thing, before the horse, isn't right? it? But, um, it's it's uh, Alice in Wonderland. The, the, the king said, let the jury consider... Their verdict. Yes. And the Queen said, no, sentence first, right. verdicts <laughs> afterwards. This is the world we're living in today. It is. Now, here's the thing. Allardyce was set right. that day at five o'clock. Mm. Dribs and drabs, the truth comes out. Yeah. The FA, in a select committee, said he had not sought to broke the rules. Right. And he had not sought to take speeches in the Middle East. He had explicitly said on tape, you want me to give speeches? I'd have to run it past yeah. the FA he first." Yeah, he said, I remember that, yeah. And I bumped into Allardyce, Mike. Weeks later, I was doing a, a, an interview on Sky Sports. Right. It was like a panel discussion. Mm. I've got to tell you, he was still ashen faced. And he said, You know what? I lost that job. 30 years of hard work to get the most prestigious yeah. job in the country, a source of huge pride. It was denied to me mm. in an unjust way. I'll never get it back. That is the tragedy. Yeah of mob justice. Yes. That's why we must stand up for due And there's Rosa. a lot
5: of people living with that right now. Um, right. We don't have to go into all of them, but let's talk about Dominic Raab because mm-hmm. he's currently sort of in the dock, if you like. Um, suddenly there's an anonymous civil servant talking to Newsnight about how awful he was I mean, I know people that have worked with him and I trust their judgment because I know them quite well. They all say, you know, he was facing an incredible wall of kind of dissonance, a wall of inertia. The civil service don't like people going into their departments and trying to shake them up. They deliberately kind of obfuscate everything and they don't like being told what to do. They're
7: now accusing him of making them suicidal. I mean, really? See, I don't have a problem with the newspaper running a story. I just think we need to be aware mm. that if a civil servant had, had phoned up the, the the Guardian or Newsnight and said, Dominic Raab, nice bloke, yeah. it wouldn't have been a story. That's no. not the lead item on Newsnight. Dun, 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 right. dun, 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 Dominic Raab is a nice person. Yeah. We're going to be discussing this with three psychos. Right. And by the way, does it Gina, matter if he's a nice person I or, or, think does. or that he's courteous or yeah. um, he, he, he doesn't bully. That's mm. not a headline. Gina M- Miller, yeah. the Remain campaigner. She had the lead story in The Independent on Friday. This is why I wrote the column yeah. last week. And she said she had done a Today programme right. interview with Dominic Raab. Mm. And they got into the lift after and the door shut. And he, he, was, he was discourteous to her. And then they got downstairs. And he was rude to right. the person organising a taxi. Mm. Page one. Gets retweeted, to her. Gets, according to her. Gets retweeted 3,000 yeah. times. This person must go. Yeah. It's corroborate. And I thought to myself, how first of all, I don't know if it's in mm. f- a fair account. Secondly, we haven't heard Dominic Raab's account of what happened. Yeah. But the idea that you can extrapolate from a single incident to a person's character mm. without hearing all the many people who might have had a completely yeah. different point of view that would never be a story right. in any newspaper, radio show or anything, yeah. is, it is an affront to the basic cornerstone of our way of life, Yes. which is the idea that you can only be properly convicted or criticised on the basis of the facts, Mm. got to establish them And also, people
5: are now much more willing, it seems to me, to believe a particular narrative that's presented to them about somebody they don't like. Of course. If you don't like
7: someone, obviously they must be horrible. By the way, I've sported Romain. (laughs) I don't like Dominic Raab at all. I don't have any time... I don't like the look of him, to be honest. I don't like like his politics. I mean, Even not looking at his (laughs) physiognomy. You know, I don't like him. But it seems to me that the test of one's commitment to natural justice is when somebody that you dislike is unfairly in the dock. Yes.
5: Let's finish up with um, these terrible statistics about the number of people killed with knives in England and Wales being the highest on record for 76 years. You write a lot about opportunities for people, for young people in particular, Mm. also for people to change their kind of world and move to another world. I mean, this is a terrible statistic, and it tells me... Uh, and it happens to coincide with a, with an incident actually uh, very close to where my kids live in very rural Sussex where somebody was stabbed, kind of unheard of, you know. Where, where in Sussex? And it's happening all over the place. He's it not far from Hastings.
4: Right. Um, right. It's but a little town
5: which up until now has
7: never really had any crime at all. It's interesting that you say that because about six weeks, maybe two months ago, uh, the night England played South Africa at mm-hmm. Twickenham, the, the night before that, I live on a tiny road in Richmond. Right in southwest london right. there was a stabbing and a murder on the road i mean right. it's only the, the road's only about 80 yards long right. and it was cordoned off um, blood it's everywhere it's shocking isn't it when I you just see I, that and i went and looked and it's interesting we we're talking about it today and i try to understand this is epidemic too strong a word but this this vast rise in this kind of violent crime county lines mm reduction in the number of police yeah. officers there must be other social media was a, a, dr- drug exactly drugs but I do wonder Mike what, what on earth is going on that it's become almost normalized yeah. for young people to to carry yeah. a knife the other thing i would say ju- just while we're talking about the police is you know there's a lot of I think legitimate comment about perhaps a culture of misogyny in certain parts of the police topical this week with yeah. the sentencing of David Carrick young police officer could see my son Ted he's he's nine right was really shocked and frightened when he saw what was going on. Mm. And he called him over. He said, you know what, we're going to find the person who did this and we're here to protect you. And I watched him interacting with local people, assiduous, decent person. That night when we were walking back from the rugby game, I stood and talked. He'd been there all day, talked to him for about 15, 20 minutes. One of the uh, forensics guys came over and I thought, there are a lot of decent... police officers who are doing great work and are probably just as appalled as anybody else. And I I think it's dangerous if we tar all of police officers who are doing some great work to keep us safe. Yeah. Again... What it's giving
5: people who don't like the police is an excuse to bash them and to say maybe we just need to completely rip it all down, tear it all down and start again.
7: Well, no, probably not. I think actually. probably not. I think it, I think this misogyny thing... I do wonder how this guy Carrick operated in plain sight for so mm. long within the Met. It's an interesting documentary going out tonight. I read a report on it and, and there were some troubling aspects of it. But it doesn't mean that the majority of people are anything other than decent mm people who want to keep us safe and i occasionally read some of the tweets of the met and the national crime agency there's some incredibly sophisticated work that is done to catch cyber criminals yeah. uh, paedophiles mm. and you think of the vocational commitment to their job these people are working longer hours than they need to because mm. they're really committed to upholding the rule yeah. of law you know let's let's at least acknowledge that in the midst right. of this debate no it's a good thought to finish up with
5: matthew great to see you thank Pleasure. you very much indeed Good. matthew side column on sunday in the sunday times look out for it of course Uh, and he's all over various different podcasts too many to mention uh, unless you particularly want to plug one but um, uh, we'll be back after this Simon Calder's going to tell us what's going wrong uh, between the Dover and Calais route because apparently uh, the French are on strike again so bad luck if you're trying to get over there this is Talk TV
3: Edgy Talk Plain Talk Unrivaled Talk Mike Graham the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old fashioned common sense in search of the perfect debate
4: the independent republic of Mike Graham On your mobile, on your Wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
5: Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We've had a fascinating show so far, some very interesting calls. Of course, uh, we've got plenty more to take and we'll take them all between now and one o'clock. Ian Collins coming up from one o'clock of course and then it's Vanessa Feltz from four at seven o'clock Jeremy Carl live I'll be back on that show tonight Uh, Piers Morgan from eight o'clock tonight of course he's got the interview that they all wanted the interview with the girl the woman uh, indeed the older woman uh, who says that she was the one who uh, took the virginity of Prince Harry uh, the spare Uh, she'll be talking exclusively to Piers Morgan tonight uh, from eight o'clock of course you don't want to miss that and then nine o'clock of course it's the talk Uh, we'll play a little clip from that later on not just now coming up in this hour, Dr. Paul Stott joins us. He's a man um, who is the head of the security and extremism unit at the policy exchange think tank. Uh, He's going to talk to us about this Prevent report, uh, which has been put together by William Shawcross, a man uh, who says basically the watchword now for Prevent is not so much that it needs to be disbanded, but as Isabel Oakshot said, an awful lot of money in excess of 45 million pounds is spent every single year on it. That's the budget. What they need to be doing is looking at true threats to this country, uh, true problems that we might be seeing uh, coming up, uh, particularly from the Islamic fundamentalist front and the jihadis uh, who find themselves in this country actually actively acting against the interests of the people and the interests of the state. And they need to take their focus further away from some of the other things that they've been focusing on, like far-right extremism, which they called, of course, the fastest-growing kind of extremism, which is kind of a misnomer and kind of a misdirection, really, more than anything else. So let's talk to now um, Dr. Paul to find out what he makes of it all. Political correctness, of course, being blamed now uh, for Islamic extremism being downplayed. By the Prevent organisation, Paul. A very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. So uh, good to talk to you about this because this is something which I think we don't talk about enough. We've seen, obviously, the various different problems that Prevent have had. We've seen uh, the the Fishmongers Hall episode where uh, the uh, Prevent um, client, if you like, was was thought to be deemed to be de-radicalised. Thought it was okay to let him out on his own, come down on a train with his laptop, go to Fishmongers Hall produce knives and start stabbing people at random similarly the killer of david amos mp um it's not been run very well i think it's probably the most um, generous way i can think of describing it
3: I think that's a fair comment, Mike. And uh, I mean, the first thing to say, this prevents uh, review has been a, a very long time uh, in gestation. It mm. was uh, way back in 2019 this was first mooted and William Shawcross submitted the independent review back in April last yes. year. And there seems to have been a, a fair old ding-dong within the Home Office about the, the content. What it basically does is, is bring a bit of clarity to the type of issues you, you've you already uh, mentioned in your in your trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The focus on prevent needs to be reset it's gone awry from what's the core threat to the country, which is Islamist extremism. Last year, the the head of the security service, MI5, gave a speech and he said I think 75% of the terror plots that MI5 interrupted and were monitoring were Islamist in their origin. I think in the the Shawcross report, it it talks about 80% a very similar figure. Now, you might think from that 75%, 80% of the people who uh, prevent a, a working way of who they're trying to deter from supporting terrorism uh, are islamists actually the figure is down now i think it's around about 16 percent and indeed the largest uh, percentage of people who were referred to prevent are people who are classed as vulnerable but not possessing counter-terrorism risk mm. so what you basically have here is a, a short cross outlines people who've got mental health issues or various concerns and who are being referred to prevent so they can get mental health support it, it's turned into a sort of social service yeah. rather than something to counter-terrorism which is what it was originally designed to be we, yeah. we need a reset
5: well exactly and it seems as though as Shawcross points out that there's been an awful lot of kind of well-intentioned shall we say intervention but it hasn't really been the right kind of intervention and it might well be that um, there's reasons for that it could be that the civil service is not fit for purpose when it comes to this kind of thing we know from other uh, areas of public sector working that you know there's a great squeamishness around anything to do with the Muslim community there's a great squeamishness about Islam you know people don't want to hear certain things they don't want to look into certain um, you know dark corners in case they don't like what they find
3: well, I think we saw that um, in twenty twenty one with the Battle of grammar uh, school teacher, yeah. uh, poor bloke still in hiding, and we also yeah, I mean that's that
5: extraordinary. How is that possible that this bloke is still in hiding in fear of his
3: life? It, it's a scandal uh mike and it should be raised and raised and raised until the conditions that allow that to to occur uh no longer no longer exist it, yeah. it's it's a great scandal but we also had in 2022 a series of cinema protests around the question of blasphemy mobs outside mm. cinemas protesting against a film that was yeah. considered uh blasphemous to uh, by a, a small number of uh of, of british muslims and one of the great strengths of the Shaw cross report is he actually. raises blasphemy Mm. and this is an issue which as you say civil servants and others uh, in the public sector want to shy away from want to brush under the carpet when we had these cinema protests for example there was very little to be seen in the way of, of policing or pushback from from politicians And Shawcross rightly raises the fact that there's there's clearly a terrorism threat Mm. if somebody is in hiding for fear of having their head chopped off. Yes, well, exactly right. And also you
5: make the point in your piece in The Telegraph today um, that Shawcross understands the relevance of ideology um, because ideology very much drives these ideas. I mean, I was listening to somebody ringing into another radio station this morning who had actually been through the Prevent programme and he said he was kind of recommended to it. Because he was part of a group of kids in a particular school, and I think it was in, in, in or around London, um, who had become sort of collectively radicalised. And they were actively considering going out to join ISIS. They were actively having conversations in classrooms about the possibility of jihad against, you know, Britain. Um, and it, so it was a fascinating sort of insight into the kinds of people and the kinds of things that are going on in our society that we don't seem to want to address
3: no, and uh, I mean there, there are clear examples such as the ones you cite, where the type of intervention that prevent does can work, or could, can make a difference, rather than um, you know simply looking to, to prosecute every single mm. person who's yeah. perhaps young and young and daft, or or, or young and young and confused. I, I think one problem though is certainly within the education system, there's been a lot of resistance to prevent, for example from the, the teachers' union, from the university lecturers' union and the governments uh, and you know the, the, the authorities need to get out and explain the case for prevent. They need to counter some of the arguments, the conspiracy theories mm. some of the criticisms of it because otherwise um, what's the point in the review? The whole thing will just die and yeah. wither unless we get some clarity, unless we get some honesty about the type of threats that the country faces, politicians can't hide and they can't allow themselves to be pushed around no. by the civil servants.
5: No, and Isabel Oakshot made the point this morning that in Prevent's kind of approach, which Shawcross has been uh, very clear to highlight, their mis- sort of misadventures in approaching the right uh, extremism is that they look at people, even like her and myself, as kind of people that fuel right-wing extremism which of course is very far from the truth but what they don't do is then look at the sorts of things that are fueling islamic extremism and asking questions to those people
3: yes short Cross is, is very clear that the the sort of um, the, the capture um for the far right is extremely broad uh, whereas for islamists they don't really seem um, prevents uh, training packages, for example, and some of its uh, internal literature seems confident only when talking about Islamic State and Al Qaeda. Mm. Um, it doesn't seem to, to want to go uh, much broader um, than that. Whereas, um, when in some of its material looking at uh, people supposedly on the far right, it seems to take in quite mainstream views. For example, pro. Uh, Brexit views. There was a an organisation uh turning point uh, UK for a while that um Dominic Samuels from Manchester was it was involved in and that appeared in Prevent literature as an example of the of the far right. Mm. She's a black woman from Manchester. Right. You know, the, the far right's changed quite a lot of it's accepting <laughs> black people. Well exactly um, right. This is the sort of mess Prevent's got itself into mm. and it needs to change. And Shaw offers a route out of
5: that. Yes, which brings us nicely to the, the case of Shemima Begum, doesn't it? Because she has become this kind of celebrity figure almost, um, thanks to, I think, a bit of misplaced um, interest from some sections of the media. Um, she is another one who came from that sort of background of um, a community uh, in Britain which was obsessed Uh, In many ways with ISIS, where lots of young people who were, uh, shall we say, I don't know, disenfranchised for whatever reason from where they were living, suddenly thought it'd be a great idea to go and join up uh, with this terrible, awful death cult in the Middle East. I mean, it it really does beg a belief that, that, you know, she's now being looked upon as a kind of sympathetic figure.
3: Well, I think we've got currently. Um, we've just had the uh, the ten-part BBC podcast yeah. on Shamima Begum. And I'm wondering where, whether the the sort of cookery program or travel log is going to. Yeah, appear. well, strictly, uh, you know, why not? Next, um, yes, that's the that's the logic of it. Um, I haven't seen as, as much attention necessarily focused, uh, or certainly in, in recent times, to some of the victims of, of Islamic states, or indeed to the ongoing work that the Kurds are doing. Uh, often, uh, much of the heavy lifting in yeah. terms of opposing Islamist organisations uh, such as Islamic states, uh, various remnants. That's where we should be focused rather than on this rather silly person who's taken a lot of bad decisions and now needs to lie in the bed that she's made.
5: Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I take it you don't uh, harbour those thoughts that some do that she should be brought back to Britain to face a court of, of some kind.
3: Well, unfortunately, in this country, we've got an absolutely pitiful record, uh, certainly over the past couple of years, of, of prosecuting people who've gone out to, to join Islamic States. Um, if there was a realistic prospect and if there was a sense of will within uh, the Crown Prosecution Service and other. Um, structures to prosecute and potentially gain a conviction. Um, I I, I might have some sympathy for that view, but I don't think it's going to happen. You also have to remember, I think Sajid Javid was the Home Secretary at the time, and he was given quite a detailed dossier uh, on this woman and her activities, and he was very firm, she poses a threat to Mm. our security. I'm quite happy at the moment to go with Sajid Javid's view.
5: I think that's absolutely right. And finally, Paul, I suppose we ought to address the uh, the other sort of elephant in the room, which is the dinghies uh, that arrive constantly uh, on the shores of this country. Um, we were told at the beginning of this week that there seems to be some evidence that at least some of those coming are coming from Afghanistan with links to the Taliban. Um, many people, of course, don't know who they are. The Border Force people don't seem to know who a lot of these people are. I mean, Prevent doesn't, I think, have a role in any of that, but it should, shouldn't it?
3: Yes, one of Shawcross's sure recommendations is that uh, the immigration uh, authorities that uh, working with prevent should be a, a statutory duty. Mm. Uh, so, so in other words, they're, they're committed to the policy and to, to, to utilising us. I think that's necessary. I, I think no, there's, there's a much broader question here that we've seen for, for some time now to be allowing an enormous number of, of very often young men into the country about whom comparatively little is known. And that is a threat to our security. Uh, indeed, one of the, the things in the Shawcross Review is the number of cases where people have come into the country. Um, the uh, the Reading uh, jihadist who killed uh, three gay men in, mm. a, in a park in Reading is is one example. The Parsons Green uh, bomber on the, the tube yeah. who watched his attack um, is another. These are people who have entered the... Uh, the country claiming asylum, who've committed all sorts of crimes, been very problematic when they're here, and we can't seem to get rid of them. And that is the big challenge in security terms facing the government and it's also a challenge in electoral terms the tories don't deserve to be re-elected if they can't resolve this
5: no because it surely seems to be a lot simpler than they're making it you know there are ways that they could stop things happening but they don't seem to they keep saying they're going to i don't know whether you think rishi sunak has got a better plan than anybody else has had
3: well time will tell um we've heard we've heard big talk before and for a whole variety of reasons um It hasn't happened. Mm. Um, It's pretty much the uh, it's pretty much the last chance saloon, and it's noticeable. Although a lot of weight seems to be going around, leaving the European course of. Of human rights. It is noticeable that some other countries who are members of that uh, institution are far better, are often far quicker at uh, expelling people who shouldn't be in the country. So the French and uh, the Italians are, are both examples of that. France, for example, will deport people back to Algeria. The mm. UK hasn't for many years.
5: No, indeed. Dr Paul Stott, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Head of Security and Extremism Unit at the Policy Exchange, uh, a think tank, giving us his Version uh, of events with Prevent and that report from William Shawcross, which is very clearly pointing out how dangerous uh, the threat of Islamic fundamentalism is in this country and why Prevent needs to get better at actually preventing the people who are being radicalized from becoming dangerous to our society. And part of that, of course, is who's
0: coming in and where are they coming. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
6: Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors,
0: Inc.
5: From and what do they plan to do? These are simple questions that nobody seems to be able to answer.